Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Uh, welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us another Sunday in our third season, first few weeks into our third season. Man, we've just had some incredible conversations so far. Looking forward to what we're going to produce in this 2024 as Fathers Incorporated celebrates its 20th anniversary. 20 years, y'all. Can you believe that? Um, November 14th um, is the actual anniversary date to which we'll be hosting a gala here in Atlanta, Georgia. You'll hear more about that um, throughout the year. Um, It has been my honor over the last two years with the people that I've spoken to, the people that I've met, the conversations that I've had around this conversation of fatherhood and all things related to that. And I'm just excited about what's in front of us for the rest of this year in terms of really um, expanding, building on this conversation so that the I Am That podcast can create a repository of voices so that when people want to hear what folks who have been in this field have done and why they've been inspired to do this work, um, that they can come here and hear those voices. Today is no different. Um, I am often honored by bringing um, people who have been um, close to me in very many ways, um, even um, family-like, and to be honest with you, closer than, you know, brothers and have been brothers and are brothers to me, like this person today. Um, you all know him and maybe you don't. And as like when they introduce the new couple, when they say um, we're going to present to some and introduce to others or something like that. Mr. Sean Dove has been a friend of mine since the entirety almost of me doing this work back in New York City. Um, He has a formal bio, which I'm going to read, but you can also look at it on our website um, if you want to know about or know more about what he does. But I'm going to read just the first paragraph because I believe that is relevant to our conversation. Uh, Sean Dove's leadership mission mantra is there is no Calvary coming to save the day in our communities. We are the iconic leaders that have been waiting for. And we are also the curators of the change we are seeking to see. I think it is a hundred black men has the motto, um, be what you see or you are what you see. Something like that is similar to that. But he is he has almost four decades of cross-sector leadership um, in the fields of youth development, community building, philanthropy, um, arts, education, leadership development, and media. Um, literacy. He is also the founder of the Corporation for Black Male Achievement, a consultant and publishing firm that produces community building engagements and leadership development engagements that elevate stories of loving, learning, and leading by and for Black men and boys. It is always a pleasure to have this brother in my space, and it is no different today. Sean, how you doing, sir? doing well good brother general as i uh have uh given you uh that title long ago but um grateful on this uh january uh 6 2024 
and uh, yeah. we know that date uh, has uh, some uh, significance. And I remember uh, three years ago, it was you who sent me a text and said, do you see what's happening on CNN? And I was like, mm. what, 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 what's he talking about? And turning on and uh, um, seeing an insurrection uh, in action. Uh, so that date, and then uh, two years ago on this date, uh, today's the birthday of uh, oh, wow. I Too Am America, um, leading black men and boys, which dropped on uh, January 6, 2022. So uh, it's two years, and uh, I'm just excited for this conversation, knowing that every time we come together, uh, <laughs> God like just sets off some sparks man sets off some sparks and uh as you know we had to kind of cut our um <laughs> pre-conversation <laughs> in the green room and say hold on man we gotta this for uh 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 for the podcast but just let me just say this brother man i just want to say that i love you and you have just been an inspiration um uh, a support uh, a brother, a confidant for the last 18 uh, years and um, mm. prolific, <laughs> prolific. I remember, so a couple things, and no, I'm going to be quiet, right? They're going to be listening to you, this not me. Let's <laughs> go 30 minutes, right? So um, when we met, and it's kind of like, you know, you have people in your life, I don't remember the exact day or whatever you might, but I remember the season where uh, a God intersected our journeys, right? Uh, I think I had just launched uh, Proud Papa, my news magazine for African-American fathers, and uh, you had already launched Fathers uh, Incorporated, and it was just like, almost mm -hmm. like an Elizabeth moment, right? I had this dream. Uh, you had you were building your dream, and two things I remember you telling me the Genesis story of Fathers Incorporated, and 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 and, and being in Albany, and I don't know if you were in your basement or where you were in your in your home, and just mm -hmm. going through this crucible moment and getting out a journal and writing the vision and making it plain. I remember that, and that's twenty years ago, and I also remember. Maybe this was a dozen years ago or 10 years ago, this power in declarations and you sharing with me that I am, right? We were talking about those I am uh, uh, statements, right? Um, you said, I am going to be the leading uh, advocate for responsible fatherhood mm -hmm. in the nation. Mm -hmm. You did it. You're doing it, right? And so uh, speaking uh, that vision, right? So I just wanted to say, uh, inspired to know you, brother, and you're manifesting one of my mission mantras, um, which are podcasts of that like, we have to become mm -hmm. masters of our own media. We have to tell our own stories, right? And so absolutely. Thank you so much for that, because, you know, I've often, you know, it's crazy because we grind at this work and we do this work. And I've often felt you know, some kind of way or I don't can't even describe what it was, but I've always 
thought that we should always been have been working closer together, right, in terms of closer. And I was going through this thought one time, Sean, I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you. I was having this thought that something had happened, and it might have been, and we'll talk about this around my brother's keeper. Um, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, I know what it was. It was when you had the opportunity to talk to President Barack Obama, which was like I'm sitting there watching that, and I'm like, why am I not at that table? Like, we should be having this conversation. And as soon as I said that, God said to me, it's okay for people to be on the highway going in the same direction, but it's not necessary that Mm. you're in the same lane. And I was like, Mm. whoa. And I disconnected from it. I'm like, go brother, go. Like, hit your lane and hit Mm. that thing hard because I'm going to stay in mine and I'm going to hit mine hard. And I think that there's some place down in this road where there is a rest stop for us to pull into and to have these conversations Mm -hmm. about where we are to cultivate the generation of people that will take over the rest of the highway as we go off the exit ramp, whatever that's going to look like for us right mm-hmm. and so and to get yeah. our brothers and yeah. sisters to understand wow. that concept that if we look at it from a highway perspective we can get to where we're trying to get faster as if we then if we look at it from a lane perspective right and it'll set your mm-hmm. narrative with respect yeah. to how you can complement the rest of the highway and everybody get to where they're going without having dialogue and conversation and frames of thought that make you have a limited lane mentality. Mm. That's so powerful. And I think to amplify that metaphor is, I think the challenge is how do we share Mm. our strategic direction. How do we share what's the North Star, the true North, right? And um, because we can be on the same lane or the, or the same highway, but if we're all going in different directions and we're turning, right? And so how do we share with one another uh, our collective true north, right? And I think one of the challenges and shortcomings, and I don't think it's just with the black male achievement and responsible fatherhood movement, uh, I think it's related to a lot of our community building and civil rights uh, and human rights leadership is like coming together and sharing uh, mm where we're going and what our particular lanes are. Um, I would say this also for you, you have been um, really disciplined and focused Mm -hmm. um, in your lane, right? Fathers Incorporated uh, a a, a lane, right? Um, I've uh, had, I've been switching lanes. (laughs) 
you know, and, uh, you know, stopping and, you know, breaking down and, you know, let me go into, into the shop. And I think one of the things that is important for us to know, particularly as black men, is that mm. comparison mm-hmm. is all in care. Yeah. Right. And part of our masculinity is being competitive. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, I'm a ball, you know, former <laughs> ball player. Right. <laughs> I, can shoot, I can't even, you know, you be sizing people up. Right. They come into the park, you sizing them up, Man. how they walk, what they're wearing, you know. Uh, and and it's like, you know, how do we go from I got next to we got next, you know, on on, on, on the court. Right. So uh, I identify with. um what you're sharing, right, with me in that, like, Obama moment. And I think the beauty is just, like, having this conversation and being able to say, you know what? My therapist tells me all the mm-hmm. time, right? You're human. These are Allow yourself to have mm-hmm. these human feelings, right? Uh, we talk about envy a lot, right? Me dimming my light yeah. so I don't feel or, 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 mm-hmm. or make other people feel envious, Right? And this is say, well, what about the times you're feeling envious, Sean? And I spoke. Um, you know, looking out the window is real easy, but look at why you want to bring up old stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so um, and you just and I know if it's not public, it may not be public yet, but you shared something with me in the green room. Uh-huh. Uh, a declaration, right? And I knew. What you shared, big vision, hmm. it's going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Because I've watched Kenny Braswell over the years hmm. make these declarations, and it has uh, it's, it's happened. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. I mean, I appreciate yeah. everything. I mean, listen, you, you stood next to me, brother, in one of the most you know influential, important aspects of my life, and that was when I got married, right? And so I didn't think that at my age that would ever happen again. Um, found my true bride, and if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be halfway near where I am today, right? She has just kind of been exactly what I needed to stabilize myself in a way um, to be able to stay focused, right? She's a motivator. She's a supporter. She's my, you know, she's my alpha dog in protection of me. Right. And so I'd never have to kind of worry about anybody crossing the fence because they got to get to get to me. You got to get through her. Right. And so I want to take a step back, though, Sean, because it's another experience that we shared together. And I just want to kind of bring this up because it's a question that I asked in the beginning of all of my podcasts and I skipped right over it. Uh, felt like we're having like a Cat Williams moment. Right. Where we just coming in hard. Like we're not even <laughs> setting people up. <laughs> who, 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 who's cat in this scenario? <laughs> so, uh, what's your daddy's story, bro? Tell people what's your daddy's story. Wow, that, my daddy's story, right? So, um, my daddy's story is that fatherhood and being a dad uh, has been the most rewarding and challenging um, journey and story that is continuing that I've uh, had in my life. 
But my daddy's story started, I, I, I never woke up one day to say good morning, dad, right? My mother and father uh, were not uh, uh, married and um, did not grow up with my dad. So I had some interactions with him because uh, his parents, my uh, grandparents on his side, they loved me unconditionally and I spent a lot of time with them in Crown Heights, uh, uh, Brooklyn. And I had so many, my mother just like utilized community and I had so many father figures uh, in my life and coaches and mentors. But I would say a seminal moment for me, right? Uh, my daddy's story is that uh, I am, uh, you know, Nia, Maya, Cameron, and Caleb's uh, uh, dad, my uh, adult and children now. But early on in my uh, fatherhood journey, I remember one night, um, it was a storm. And my twin boys, uh, Cameron and Caleb, uh, they were around three years old. And Cameron started calling my name around two o'clock in the morning because of the thunderstorm. And um, I was like, God, why is he calling his mom at two o'clock in the morning? He's calling his father. And I got up in the middle of the night, went into uh, his room, and his twin brother was sl sleeping through the storm. That's his uh, personality, right? And he slept through the delivery. We had to go in and pull him out of the delivery. But his twin, you know, so, but Cameron, and I just like ushed him to sleep, prayed him back to sleep, and he went back to sleep. And I went back to my uh, bed and I laid down and I just had this moment. And I was like, wow. What is it like to call your father in the middle of the night and he comes to you? And I said, Sean, you may not have ever experienced that moment, but you are going to break that cycle and you are going to be there for your children, right? So that is part of my daddy's story. My daddy's story is evolving. I think I recently shared with you with my uh, adult children and, uh, you know, uh, talking about co comparison is a, a call and kill, a ride and social comparison. And um, the last few years have been a real challenge in my uh, parenting and fatherhood uh, a journey. But just this year, I said, you know what, Sean, stop, like, wanting your children to do something for you to brag about, right? Everybody's on their own journey. Stop doing this social media comparison and just be the father and the dad mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they can brag about. And that just like ease so much of like my image and ego and all of that as a, uh, as a father, right? And so the daddy journey uh continues um for me and being a father fixture right uh is and has been uh just as important as being a father figure right and i've been that so many uh young people uh over my uh over my life but being a uh, father fixture and 
I'll, we could tell more. I'll share more about, you know, Proud Papa, which you are uh, um, familiar with, the newspaper I started, and there was so much about being able to say and get vulnerable and say, I ain't got no mm-hmm. blueprint for this fatherhood journey. I'm stumbling through the dark. And being vulnerable enough as a man, a black man, to come to a brother like you, help create a community and say, Mm. I need help, right? And having other brothers share like, oh, I've experienced that, oh, I need help too, right? And so um, I'll close the long answer with saying, so much of my daddy's story is that uh, the more that Sean works on Sean and my mm-hmm. like therapeutic journey, right? Uh, the more whole and loving and giving and uh, uh, self-aware and understanding dad. Um, um, I could be like, I, I, I could tell you some stories of daddy of the year, right? I can tell you some stories of like, you need to go to the end of the line, right? You, know, you say some, some T.I. King detention, moments. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, one, one quick story, I'm sorry. So I remember, this has to do with my sons, uh, in elementary school. Uh, so I would drop kids off to school before hop going to the train station and taking New Jersey transit into the city and rushing. It was always chaos, you know, kind of make the train. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Rah, rah, rah. Uh, and this morning, my son, that morning, my son said, oh, today is a pajama day for school. We're supposed to wear pajamas. I was like, hold up. You're telling me this as we're leaving the door? Right. Like pajama day? No pajama day at PS 144 on 122nd Street and Lenox Avenue. What kind of suburban nonsense is this pajama day, right? And I was like, look, it ain't happening. Get your butts in the car. We're dropping off. and They crying. It's pajama day. They had no pajamas. And I dropped them off. And I sped off to catch the train. But I had this convicted moment, right? Come on, Sean. And I went to the Kmart, mm-hmm. right? So Kmart was still around. And I bought pajamas, knew that I was going to miss my train. And I showed up at the school with the pajamas and um, just allowed myself wow. to, like, say, hold up, slow down. It might not have been a pajama day for you, but it's a pajama day for them. And so what they didn't <laughs> tell you the night before and all of that. And so I have a bunch of uh, moments, right? And so in the same day, same story, I'm like, uh, you know, mean daddy, mm-hmm. like the hell with pajama day, but then having a vulnerable moment, an understandable moment and saying, you know what? It's not about you getting to this train on time and making this meeting. It's about you being present as a, a, a dad. And I was like, when I came in, I was like the hero of the school, like, you know, with the pajamas. And I have a, a, a bunch of stories uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, when, we, um, when I first started working with the um, 
National Responsible Father Clearinghouse, we had a messaging campaign that was um, don't miss a minute because you might miss a moment. And we have since gone from that, but I often use that when I'm speaking to dads about exactly what you're talking about, which is um, the minute matters. Um, the minute matters because that's where the moment happened. And it's um, important to respect and recognize moments for our children because you never know what moment they're gonna remember. It's a crapshoot, right? The very thing you think they're going to not think about when they're 25 is the thing that they're going to think about, right? And it's that particular moment and that moment in and of itself can serve as a wedge between you and your child. And so, and it is about what you describe with respect to slowing down. Like when I use that highway analogy, I always talk about the most frustrating thing on the highway. Um, and that can be different for most people. But for me, the most frustrating thing on the highway is the person in the fast lane going slow. Right? And you get up behind them, you cruising, and it's like, don't they know they're in the fast <laughs> This ain't the... <laughs> Roll age is real. Slow lane, get out the slow lane, move over, get to the side, blah, blah, blah. You you trying to find a way to, to fly around them, but you never know why people are moving, moving at the pace that they're moving because some people are moment people. Mm -hmm. And they could be in their car with their children having an intimate conversational moment that says to the driver, I don't want to get to the destination as fast as I usually get there because I want to savor this moment right now. And I'm not really paying attention to the people who are behind me losing their minds because it's not about you, right? They're not going to remember mm -hmm. me seeing you in my rearview mirror. They're only going to remember this conversation that we had because daddy's sharing a moment with me that we never thought they was going to share with them, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of when we, so that when you were telling that story, that's one of those kind of the highway, I have this whole highway thing. I've never done it publicly, but it has served to be a mechanism for those times in my life and more specifically with my children um, to slow down. Listen, man, thank you for bringing that up. You're reminding me, uh, so speaking of highways, uh, God, this is maybe 2010. Uh, took a road trip with my sons to uh, DC. Uh, it was Father's Day, and uh, brother Joshua Dubois uh, invited me to a fatherhood event uh, in Southeast DC where uh, Barack Obama was uh, the keynote speaker. And. Um, Drove down with my sons, stayed like in the hotel the night before. They were excited because it was video games in the hotel. And we were blessed to be in the gallery behind, on stage, right? And there was a whole lot of pre, um, a lot of speakers ahead of time, right? And it took a long time for the president to uh, come up and speak. 
And at the time, by the time he finally came up to speak, both of my sons fell asleep. <laughs> and here I am thinking about, I'm on the CNN with my sons, and they done fell asleep. You know, the headline, you know, President Barack Obama bores black boys up sleep. And uh, I'm worried about all, you know, all of that, right? And I was like, God, I can't, you know, how hard can I nudge them on camera to wait, you know, to wake up? And so I was just thinking about them embarrassing me, falling asleep. The road trip on the way back, they weren't talking about Barack Obama. They were talking about hanging out with me the night before, ordering pizza, playing video games. And I'm driving on a highway saying, Sean, you concerned about your son's falling asleep. This is what, you know, six-year-old boys do, you know, after sitting, you know, they, were, they did great. And the power of, uh, I think, perspective as a father's, um, and giving ourselves permission, Kenny, to uh, have some self-compassion. Uh, because, unfortunately, it, it, for so many of us, it wasn't modeled uh, in households with our dads, this sense of self-compassion, right? It's like, I provided for you, right? The other night I was watching Fences, right? And um, just the, you know, the dynamic of, um, you know, the father lost dreams, uh, not living up to this sense of his potential and then telling his son, like you, I don't have to like you, right? I provide for you. But realizing that, God, Dad wasn't liking himself. How can I like you? How can I love you if I am um, not liking and loving myself, right? And so the therapy journey for me has been really key to um, my daddy journey, my daddy story, because you talked earlier about being in the moment, right? And what that moment means uh, for our children, right? And a sense of self-awareness. What does this moment mean for me, Sean? Why are you like rushing, 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 rushing and learning? And I'm still learning this to take a moment in the gap, right? When someone says something, right? Especially your kids. Instead of like the quick response, being meditative and methodical enough between, that's what we have, right? We have the power. Susan L. Taylor always tells me this, right? You have the power to choose. I'm, I, and the gap I, is the power I have to choose how I'm going to respond. Wow. As a father. Yeah. As, as a husband. Some days are good. Some mm -hmm. moments are good. Some yeah. Moments no, are that's, good. um. you know, it's interesting because, you know, we, uh, you know, how does the how does the or why does the shoemaker's kids have holes in their shoes, right? And so it's like as we do this work, uh, 
to try to strengthen the capacity of, of men and, and fathers to be better equipped to be all the things that they desire to be in the lives of their families. Um, it may not always, to your point earlier, it may all not look like they're the dad of the year, right? They're the dad of the moment. And sometimes that has to be enough. Sometimes give me my dad of the moment award. I really don't care about that, but give me enough dad of the moment awards and I'll be, and I'll be fine. And I'll think we'll all be fine. The other thing I know about you, Sean, is that, you know, even prior to me meeting you, as I have heard stories about you and kind of watched these um, videos eke out. Like I saw one the other day that I had never seen before. And it was you being interviewed by someone, I think it was even prior to Harlem Children's Zone. It might have been at the Beacon Schools. You were being yep. interviewed mm-hmm. about um, yep. being a leader. And that's what I want to kind of hang on for a moment because you have always shown yourself to me as a leader. Like at what point in your life did you embrace this whole notion that leadership would be an integral part of your life? Mm, so I don't think it was a moment. Um, I think it was like gradual uh, uh, a moment as I uh, uh, I look, but I do remember one moment in middle school when. I remember us coming home, it was after a trip, after school, and we are, uh, me and three friends, coming down the staircase, and there were some older boys that got into the school, and as we were coming down uh, the stairs, they confronted us, it was two of them, right, and they were like, yo, give us your money, right, and I don't know what possessed me, but, uh, the words came out of my mouth. Uh, why are you robbing us? We're all black. You need to go on the other side of town and want to rob some white kids. And I don't know if you ever had these moments where you know something is coming out of your mouth, and they were like, "Oh, okay," and they didn't rob us. And I was like, who said that? And so it was like kind of like, that's just one example I was conscious of uh, innately having some leadership uh, uh, skills. Um, And I think on the basketball court. Uh, But I will also think like in college, uh, one of the things I really loved to do, uh, not only was I a basketball player, I was also a poet. And I was the editor of uh, Expression Magazine at Wesleyan uh, University and organizing poetry readings in the uh, Marcus Garvey Lounge of the Malcolm X House and creating a sense of uh, community, cultural expression, a place where I had a platform to recite my really bad poetry, but even more so than that, 
creating a place where what I really remember uh, the sister Sonia Cole, and I write about Sonia, uh, who is a psychiatrist now, uh, in my book, where uh, she was a poet but was really shy, right? And never in a public space shared her poetry. And creating this environment of community of black students uh, on campus, um, wine and cheese, candles, and Sonia for the first time reciting her poetry to the community and the feedback and the love she got and the smile. Um, I was like, wow, I love that. And so most of my life has been really about how do I, as a leader, create platforms to help others uh, shine their light, right? So uh, there's been moments along uh, those uh, uh, a journey, right? And we could talk a little bit more about resiliency, right? Uh, falling and, 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 and getting up and like, okay, uh, that's, a, that's a, a, a quality of, uh, of leadership that I've been able to, uh, over the years, uh, you know, one of my uh, mission mantras is, uh, it's not how far you fall, it's how high you bounce, right? And uh, so I've had experiences as a leader like that as well. And you've been around, you know, several, you know, very inspirational and prominent leaders. I remember um, a time where, you know, I always talk about coming down from Albany, New York, you know, to New York for meetings. And so where people in New York never even knew I lived in Albany, they knew I was from Brooklyn and they knew I had family, but didn't know. Like I would come down to New York for a meeting like I was going across the street. Like if there was a meeting in New York, I'd be on the highway until my wife said to me one time, you know how much it costs for you to like drive from Albany to New York and back and then she calculated it all up and she goes, how much they pay you? And I'm like, <laughs> you go on the highway. You go on the highway. And you went in your lane, back to, you know. <laughs> um, but there was a couple of meetings, I believe, and they weren't. They didn't happen. I think they were quarterly meetings that um, Jeff Canada would host at the Harlem Children's Zone, and he was bringing a couple of few of us brothers in there, yeah. and you know, allowing us to lean on his wisdom. And he would just, I would just remember being in, I can't recall anything specific that he inspired me on, but I do remember him being inspiring. Yes. What do you um, account for your role in your leadership position and your forward moving that you have gleaned from the leadership of Jeffrey Canada? Wow. So Jeff has like, been such a transformational uh, leader, figure, big brother, uh, love and friend in my life. And I remember connecting with Jeff at a time when I had just come out of um, uh, drug rehab. Right, I was in an organization called the Dome Project that was affiliated with Reedland Centers for Children and Families, which eventually became uh, the Harlem uh, uh, Children's Zone. And um, 
it was Jeff, along with two other leaders, right, that I, uh, you know, or in my call, my corner, I call them like the Bundini Brown, Angelo Dundee, and Dr. <laughs> Freddie, uh, uh, Ferdy Pacheco, was Jeff, Alfonso Wyatt, and Richard, the late Richard uh, Murphy. Uh, but Jeff had this sense of boldness, right? And sometimes, you know, having someone to believe in you before you can believe uh, in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff told me, like, I believe in you, right? You got some qualities, right? And I remember there was a period where um, he couldn't make all the speaking engagements um, that he was asked to do, and he would uh, say, I'm going to send Sean Dove instead of uh, sending uh, myself. And by him doing that, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I must have some qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then watching him build Harlem Children's Zone, right, and build team, um, something he said to me, he was like, you know, Sean, you have to have faith before you need it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and having faith in God, having faith uh, in yourself. Um, and trust, he trusted me, right? And I made like, I messed up. You know, I don't know if like, we can curse on your, uh, I effed up a lot uh, as a leader, but giving me that, that space to uh, F up dusted myself off, right? And um, we all, and sometimes it doesn't matter like how um, old we are, right? Just like, you can have daddy hunger at five and you can have it at 55, right? Mm -hmm. Um, As men, um, I think we're wired and have this craving for someone to say, I believe in you, mm. you have value, um, you, you make a difference, right? And in so many ways, right, you know, being like down with Jeff and being on Jeff's team um, at the Harlem Children's Zone, him trusting me and Joe Stewart to go and launch the Beacon School uh, mm. in Harlem. Um, I look back 30 years ago, realizing that that all had something to do like with my leadership uh, 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 journey. And sometimes it was like, you know, your association. My mom used to say, I don't have to ask you what you're doing. I just need to look at who you hanging out with on the corner when you come home from from school, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, like being on that, uh, being on Jeff's team, you know, I was a better ball player, right? Uh, I was a better, uh, a better leader. So that power of uh, association, right? But uh, that fearlessness, boldness, and getting ish done, right? Uh, stuff mm-hmm. doing, um, for me just like has had a profound like uh, impact. And he just like recently celebrated forty years uh, leading and being at the Harlem Children's Zone, and I was at that celebration, and uh, time travels fast. Yeah, it travels really fast. It's crazy because the moment that I remember 
um, about him because I knew him before that. He just didn't remember me. I wasn't in his in that at his in his space. Let's say that. <clears throat> but we used to bring him up to Albany, New York to speak. He had a relationship with a good friend of mine who ran the NAACP in Albany, Ann Pope. And Ann Pope used to bring him up to New York to speak at our dinners and things. And when he wrote the book, uh, Fist and Stick, I think that was the name of the yeah, book. Fist, Stick, and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when he wrote that book, she brought him up to Albany to um, do a book signing of that book. And I have a picture of him. And the reason that the picture is so significant to me, Sean, is because um, outside of the people who worked at the library and myself and, and, and Jeffrey were the only people there. And it always reminds me when I used to look at that picture and knew where he had gotten to and what he had did is that we all come from somewhere. Yep. Right? That we all had to start somewhere. We didn't start out the box you know, speaking to 50,000 people. Like we didn't start out the box educating people from, we started from somewhere. And it paced me a little bit. It paced me in a sense that, cause I have my own picture. Tracy took the same picture of me in Albany, New York when I wrote When the Tear Won't Fall. And I was in the late library. It was me, Tracy, KJ was a couple of months old and two white ladies. Right. In the, in the, in the auditorium. And I often go back to that picture and say to myself, I began somewhere like mm. I had to think about that. And the reason that I bring that up is because that stimulated that relationship stimulated you into probably one of the most boldest things I've ever seen someone do as it relates, particularly to black men is to is your transition to the Soros Foundation um, and the creation of the um, corporation or the uh, Campaign for Black Male Campaign Achievement. Campaign for Black Male Corporation is in my head. Campaign for Black that's the that's the ending. That's, that's, right, that's, that's the ending in my head. So I kind of forget the beginning part. But what, where you evolved into was really what you thought we should be creating, that there needed to be an institution, right, that housed this work. Talk to me a little bit about that journey from the um, campaign to the corporation. So, wow. Um, well, one, I would like for your, uh, it was Jeff Canada, who uh, actually I had a few people in the early winter of uh, 2008 uh, send me this uh, job announcement uh, for Open Society Institute. They were uh, launching an initiative for black men and boys. And uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's nice, but I'm not going to apply. At the time, I was um, working at my church, uh, First Baptist Church of uh, Lincoln Gardens, and uh, serving as uh, the director of youth ministries and publishing Proud Papa. And uh, uh, But then I got a call, I remember vividly, from Jeff, uh, who said, look, you know, Open Society Institute, <laughs> well, he started the call with like, look, I don't know where you are in your career, if you want to be, you know, you're trying to be a publisher, you're trying to be a preacher, what you're trying to do, but here's an opportunity that I think you should consider, you know, throwing your hat in the ring, right? And, uh, you know, when your mentor, right, uh, makes a recommendation, uh, oh, maybe I need to uh, uh, take a look at this, right? And so, and up until that point, I had never gone through an interview process, it was like five interviews, um, and it was a three-year campaign, and uh, 
at the time, right, um, at Open Society Institute, I think of uh, a brother, uh, Alvin Starks, who was on staff there, and there were folks like Lauren Harris, who was at the Ford uh, Foundation, and uh, ABFI, the Association for Foundation, uh, for Foundation, Black Foundation uh, Executives. And I bring all of those folks up because nothing happens in a vacuum, right? There are always players. Right? We just don't arrive here and say, you know, I'm here. People are opening doors, making recommendations, saying your name in rooms that you are not even in that, uh, allow you to get into uh, 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 spaces. And I remember uh, joining uh, Open Society Institute. I remember them saying that, uh, you know, put down your um, uh, direct service hat. You know, uh, this is about policy advocacy. And I wasn't smart enough, Kenny, to say, okay, yes. And I was like, no, it's about building community. And how do you bring into uh, rooms and spaces, not only philanthropy, but practitioners, uh, academia, policy advocates, arts and culture, and what was supposed to be a, a three-year campaign, and that's the crazy thing about philanthropy, you know, uh, how are you going to take a generational uh, issue of uh, black people and black men and boys being oppressed and uh, white supremacy, structural racism, and say in three years we're going to, you know, change things. Uh, but working for a living donor uh, like George Soros helped to take off this three-year term limit. And for me, it was bringing all of my uh, previous skills to this position. One was like, you know, admitting that, you know what, Sean, this is new to you. <laughs> you have not gone this way before. Asking for help, right? Being humble to ask for uh, 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 help. Um, then also seeing beyond the campaign and we're thinking like, you know what? We need more than a campaign. We need something like a corporation for black male achievement, right? And uh, an endowed philanthropic uh, entity that will lean into this issue. Because at the time, I thought $5 million a year was a lot of money and realized when well, we're talking about the enormity of what we're... <laughs> uh, I, I, I remember, this is another story, this is when Richard Murphy was alive and I uh, had this vision of a corporation for black male achievement, right? We need to really... Uh, uh, endow this work uh, with some significant resources. I remember having breakfast with him and saying, uh, you know, I have this vision of creating this plan to uh, get $250 million from Open Society Institute and George Soros to create a corporation for black male achievement. And I thought I was being big and bad and bold, right? $250 million. And he looked across the table and he said, 250 million? That's not enough. You need to get a billion. You need to ask for a billion. And I was like, stop playing, right? I thought I was like, you know, 250 billion. I'm asking for 250 million. 
He said, no, you need a billion. You're not thinking big enough. And mm. then he said, let me hear you say it. And I was like, <laughs> stop playing. He was like, no, let me hear you say a billion dollars for black men and boys, right? And I was like, I thought it was funny. He was like, we're not leaving until you say a billion dollars Why? for black men and boys, right? And I was like, I was like Moses stuttering, right? I, 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 I could even like get the words out of my mouth, right? And so the importance of having folks around you, right? Uh, mm. And I will say that, so the Corporation for Black Male Achievement has not evolved into this uh, a billion dollar uh, social enterprise. Uh, God had a different plan, right? So we sunset um, the not-for-profit in, at the end of 2020. And so much, Kenny, of uh, what I have been called to do uh, has been around writing, publishing, and and speaking. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to transfer the, uh, transform or reinvent the campaign into an LLC, the Corporation for Black Male Achievement, uh, which is um, a consultant and publishing firm that creates communities that tell stories of uh, uh, love and learning and leading for and by black men and, 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 and boys, right? And uh, that's the work, along with the work that I'm doing now, still in philanthropy, that in this third act, right? I'm in the third act, and um, what are you gonna lean into in this third act, Sean, right? And uh, it's um, the writing, the publishing, the speaking, and creating spaces for others to tell mm-hmm. uh, their stories. Uh, and particularly, um, young black men, um, 18 to 25 years old, right? So many of whom that I uh, am coming in contact with that are, you know, trying to find their way, right? Trying to find their voice. Uh, looking for uh, relationships that help them heal, right? And so a lot of this is just replicating what people have done for me and how they have poured uh, into me. And I will say that, you know, uh, black men and boys, we don't need saviors, right? We just need uh, believers, right? People that believe uh, in our assets, believe in our beauty, believe in our uh, uh, humanity. And if someone would have told me, Kenny, um, you know, 35 years ago that, um, Sean, uh, you would be related to a black male achievement if someone Googled you, uh, you know, your name would come up related to black male achievement. Uh, I would have said, shut up and pass the joint. And what the hell is Google anyway? Um, And so we don't know what is in store for us, right? Part of my journey and my story, and, you know, I I say it a little (laughs) flippantly uh, about, you know, pass the joint, right? Uh, A transformational moment for me at the end of my uh, a run with uh, drinking and drugging was like, I was ready to jump on the tracks and end it all. I was ready to jump on the tracks and grab the third rail because I did not believe there is another way 
to uh, escape this mm. prison I had created wow. for myself. And God had another plan, right? And instead of jumping on them tracks, uh, I went into a therapeutic community. And I think about all that he has used me for in the last 35 years. If I would have jumped, uh, I think of, uh, you know, Nehemiah, Cameron, and Caleb, right? I think of my wife, Desiree, right? I think of our relationship. I think of all that um, I've been able to do uh, in the field of black male achievement would never mm. have uh, 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 happened, right? And I say that because um, suicide, um, especially with black men and black boys, uh, those numbers are, uh, are increasing and so many of us are suffering in silence and need to hear, mm -hmm. wow, Sean Dove, you experienced that too, right? Um, and so we need to vulnerably tell those stories, uh, I believe. Uh, no, yes, you know, uh, we, we don't post, like, we post all the victory uh, uh, images, right. right? And we don't post the, like, you know, curled up in a fetal position, crying and, and, and depressed and, and all of that. And, uh, we got to tell those stories of um, that right. the moment, our darkest moments. Yeah not deciding to uh, uh, end it all, mm -hmm. right? And so that's part of my story, a significant part where um, I chose life instead of death. Uh, I forgot what the question was, but that was just an exquisite ramble uh, that... Right on, right on target, right on point. But as we kind of close, I just want to touch on this. You said a couple of things, and one is I got to come back and feed back around with you because maybe I don't, didn't know what I was going to do with this thing, been inspired to do it, and actually been working on it. I need to get and really focus, focus on it. So I'm writing my memoir. And so my memoir is, a, um, is an overture of the last 20 years of my life when I started Fathers Incorporated. I've never, when the tear won't fall, it was all pre-Fathers mm -hmm. Incorporated. I've never told the 20 years of my life within Fathers Incorporated. And so I'm writing my memoir now about that. And it's crazy because I thought I was gonna start from 20 years ago, which is I did kind of start from there, but I've since begun to start from here and back into it and then fill in the blanks um, as I go back so I can make a reference point to things that have happened 10 years ago to things that have happened now as opposed to the other way around. So almost like telling the story backwards. I've been kind of thinking about doing it that way. Start from start from now and then go and then go all the way back. And so and it is this kind of memoir storytelling that talks less about the factual aspects of my life, but more to the environment and my feelings and my emotions and my struggles and my triumphs and, you know, and my, my, my frame of thought, right? How did I think about things when I was thinking about things and what yes. does that look yes. like? I think that's the best way to tell the story for someone else to glean um, things that would help them move forward without knowing the facts in my life. 
That is pop. That's a, that's a literary for one. You already, so you've done it already, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when the last tear won't fall, right? Mm-hmm. But telling this story, right? That's our strength, right? Our stories. And there is someone waiting to hear and read your stories, right? You know, one of my mantras is that someone that you don't even know Mm. is rising up in their leadership calling only because they're watching you rise up in yours. Mm. And man child in the promised land as a 15 year old sitting in a circle at the dome project and my coach john simon said y'all not getting up into the court until we read this you know uh chapters of this book had a profound effect on me mm. and, and 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 my teammates right and so reading claude brown's story and reading in the book about sunny and that coming of age story planted seeds in me of just writing, publishing, telling my story. Uh, mm. And so I'm thrilled to hit, because you have a like, phenomenal, like just the other day, we I can't remember where we were. I think I, you were with Patrick Oliver on his mm-hmm. uh, a podcast, and you were telling the story of um, what you went through to be awarded the fatherhood mm-hmm. house contract, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. God, I've known Kenny for almost 20 years, but I hadn't heard the details of mm-hmm. that story. I was like, mm-hmm. I needed to hear that. I mm-hmm. needed to hear that resiliency story and mm-hmm. how timing and being in the right place and people looking out and you'd like saying, you know what? I may not think that I have what it takes to do this, but other folks do. I'm gonna do it anyway. Right. What we need to hear those uh, hear those stories. Yeah. I'm glad that you are um, going to tell it. And thank you for all that you've done and continue to do um, around this fatherhood. Right. Not just black dads, but all dads. Right. Uh, you said something recently, or wrote something recently about. Um, you know, we hear a lot about absentee dads. Mm-hmm. You don't hear enough about the dads that are present, the right. dads that are, are, are struggling to be present, dads that are formerly uh, incarcerated that are stepping up and saying, I am present in my children's life uh, and I need uh, support. Like, that's the thing. And that's why, you know, Proud Papa was about, right? It wasn't about right. black men as pimps, players, perpetrators. It was about us as proud poppers, right? About mm. our purpose and, and about our power, uh, about our presence uh, as, as as fathers, right? And we need that platform. There's so much out there that's uh, promoting a different story about black men, about black, uh, black fathers, right? And wow. uh, so... Yeah. You're a prolific, brother. You have, <laughs> uh, you have been prolific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to, you know, it's, it's um, you know, I wrote this thing, and I don't even know when I'm going to share it with the public. I shared it amongst a few of my friends, and I wrote this. It was God put it in my spirit, and I had to, and I wrote it. It took me like 10 minutes to write. 
um, and it's called Enough. And so over this 2024, you'll hear me begin to start talking a little bit more about this conversation around enough and what that means for individuals like you and I and many of the men and women in our circle um, that deal with this whole notion of enough. And it's the thing that kind of drives us to, 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 uh, to work for our people. I, I never forget, um, I don't even know why I just recalled this some years ago. Actually, when we were doing the stuff around Monaghan Revisited, um, I came to New York City to an event that Cornell West was at. Mm. Didn't know that brother, didn't know he would even, you know, want me to interview him. It was like, I'm going there and I'm gonna have my, I brought Ali with me. I said, bring the camera. I don't know if you're gonna let me interview him at the end, but we're gonna take a shot and I'm gonna go down. And we went down, it was a small thing on the um, Upper West Side and it was probably about 50 people in there and we stood around, stood around till the crowd died out. And then I finally went up to him and introduced myself to him and, and I told him what we were doing and he, and he just and he just went in when I mentioned what we were doing about the Monaghan report mm -hmm. and he just he just started like I didn't even have to ask him a question. <laughs> he gave me everything that I wanted and he sat down and when he sat down, it was like it was I had to just sit there and listen. But one of the things he said to me, Sean, was one of the things that has stuck with me throughout my career and throughout my space that has kind of given me this um, adrenaline to keep moving forward, regardless of what I believe to be the progress or the change. Um, he said to me that it takes a particular kind of person to work for people that don't love themselves. Mm. 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 To get up every morning and to do that because it's a thankless job. Um, but you still have to do it because it's your people. Mm. Like you still have to grind because somebody's grandmother prayed for them. That's mm. what he said. Mm. Like, and you gotta continue to do that regardless of how you see your um, production um, producing any level, you know, of, of, of outcome or outputs in what you're doing. And so I carry that every day. It's like, even when you watch the chaos and dysfunction of what we see in social media, which we'll come back in another show and talk about how we are depicted in the media and what that looks like, which is something we have to pay more attention to. But the thing that drives me crazy is not so much what happens in social media, but who stimulates the conversation because on my pages and media and what that looks like, which is something we have to pay more attention to. But the thing that drives me crazy is not so much what happens in social media, but who stimulates the conversation. Because on my pages, there's not a lot of people who don't look like me. And so whatever it is I'm seeing is being created and stimulated by people who look like me. And that's something that we have to address. We have to really kind of start talking about the narrative that we're creating out there and what we're putting in full sight of our children with respect to how their parents um, articulate particular things that are happening in society and how we expect, to your point earlier about, you know, your kids, um, how we expect them to then grow up, evolve, mature, in the backdrop of watching their elders not growing up, not evolving, and not acting in a mature manner. 
And so how is that supposed to happen? So that's a whole nother conversation. I'm going to put you out on a wide out because this is where I want you to close because every time I go wide out, I see sure. it. But before you go wide out, um, you're talking about moments, right? Mm. And um, don't wait too long. And I'm hoping even now could be the moment that you begin to share publicly enough Hmm. because someone and if I had it in front of me don't let me have to call it up and I'll I'll break (laughs) up Uh, someone watching this right now needs to hear what you wrote in enough right and so Hmm. you may have some strategic unveiling of it right Um, but I would encourage you to start sharing it now, right? And uh, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that, um, and then I want you to share something. Since we're sharing, we're gonna share okay. it. We're gonna share it separately. Um, but I want you to share yours first, and so because it's something that I'm gonna wide you out because it's in the yeah. background. So behind your right shoulder is a um is a photo that i have in my home and in my office and it's there because you have inspired that imagery to me um as we have both kind of really leaned in on um the principles of muhammad ali and it is the iconic photo of muhammad ali standing over sunny liston and you narrate the meaning of that picture to you in a way I've never heard that picture narrated. Could you share that uh, with our listeners? Sure. I actually I thought you were talking about the picture of my wife Desiree. Uh, <laughs> well, that too. You go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, Muhammad Ali was uh, my first hero. Um, I remember as a young boy, my mother giving me a postcard with Ali in his white shorts and as a little boy and as a young man and with his arms up and I remember like I wanted to be like that and just seeing him on TV and uh, then learning more about um, a black man saying you know I'm fast I'm pretty and I can't possibly be beat and hearing his poetry he's like the first one to seed um uh, poetry inside of me and um so he was like my first hero and wanted to be like Muhammad Ali when I uh, grew up and uh as you know creating Rumble Young Man Rumble as part of the um Black Male Achievement Movement right and what's interesting about this picture uh which is perhaps the most iconic picture of Ali uh, in the second uh, Sonny Liston fight, first round, first minute, and knocking Sonny Liston uh, out, right? I often share that, you know, uh, my goal is to have most days, like being like uh, Sonny, uh, being like Muhammad Ali in that picture. But I've had some days when I felt like Sonny Liston. But, and I got to put this picture up. To me, that is not even the most iconic picture of uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, The most iconic picture for me is a picture of him going down on the canvas after a left hook uh, by Joe Frazier. 
three years after Ali uh, coming back into the ring, after the gov- U.S. government uh, stripped his ability to uh, earn a living because he refused to uh, enlist in the Vietnam War. Um, 15th round of the fight of the century. And Ali had every reason to stay down after that left hook. Uh, but he got up, right? And he wasn't just getting up for himself. He was getting up for all that believed in him. He was getting up for uh, his ancestors. He was getting up for, uh, at the time, you know, nine-year-old Sean Dove that uh, would have to model the same thing, you know, getting up after getting knocked down, right? And so uh, being able to create a, a, a movement at the Muhammad Ali Center and uh, I just want to share with you, uh, we were there at last November and I had an opportunity to meet uh, for the first time uh, Lonnie uh, Ali. Um, and uh, she said, thank you for using my husband's uh, legacy uh, and the Muhammad Ali Center on behalf of our black men and boys. It was like a really powerful, uh, a powerful thing, right? And so. Poetry. I'm going to share a, a poem before you, and then pass it on. Are you going to, you going to share enough? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to share it. And this is a poem, Kenny, that I wrote back in 1988 uh, when I conceived and was leading a program called Poetry in Motion Off-Court Creations, which is a combination basketball clinic and writing workshop for uh, young men that used... Um, basketball diaries and articles to promote uh, literacy. And uh, this was even before I uh, surrendered, right? Even at this time, right? This was the season when I was like gonna jump on the tracks. But uh, this goes and speaks to us telling our stories, right? And uh, I wrote this in 1988. Um, Whilst that poetry in motion, I stopped to look for a brother with ways to write a book. Arrange round me with a story to tell a billion brothers who know all too well about unwritten words that unwillingly die before bred and bound and able to fly. Why do my brother's words wear weights of woe? My ears to the ground, I'm dying to know. We must give our words wings so they can sing a song for all brothers they will bring. The ability to dream, to fly, and to soar, it's to you, my brothers, these words are for. To give your words a life, you must sit and write your story with tales of what life is like. Do me a favor and set your words free because I need to hear them do it for me. Wow. Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> Every time I hear that, that one, and there's another one that you do as well, um, that you do also. And that was in, 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 in incredible. Um, I am, I think one of the things I wanted to do, Sean, with this one is I actually want to commit it to memory. 
And so I really want to be able to just off the top of my head, just, just, just do, and I have a couple of speaking engagements this year. I will know it by memory before I step out there mm. on the stage. But um, the poem is called Enough, um, and you can glean from it what you can glean from it. And so why I can't think enough, read enough, serve enough, want enough, love enough, dislike enough, know enough, do enough, be enough, smile enough, cry enough, care enough. Explains why I can't sleep enough. Why I worry if I can't change enough. Why my age and my body keep telling me I'm not enough. Why my bank account deceives me to think I don't have enough. Why I worry about my children if I've done enough. Why am I afraid? Because I know one day God will quietly say, job well done, but enough. Mm. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's, it was the space I've been in. Um, and you put something on top of it, which is going to make this thing go, which is what's your punctuation behind enough? Is it a question mark? Is it a period? Is it a comma? Is it a semicolon? Is it a dash? Um, what is it that um, explains your enough and how does it play a role in your life? That's something that I want to begin to start doing this year um, to build on for people because it is one of those things that I think we all struggle with um, enough. Mm. Um, and so who knows, that might be a whole nother book it, that it I might <laughs> explaining wow. what that looks like, depending on what the punctuation behind it is. So, and, 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 and thank you for that brother. And thank you for reading that and sharing. And maybe even in this moment, we can amplify a movement where, uh, Brothers like you and I say to each other, I love you, you are enough. Yeah, well, and then I'll end here, and that is, what do we call this thing, Sean? You typed it the other day, don't say it. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell it, because when you said it, it resonated so loud in my, in, in my like you said, my baby jumped when I saw you, you, you said it, and I'm trying to find the um, text messaging that you and I and um, Bish Ferg were sharing. And you said, oh, here it goes. Um, what did you call it? Um, we got to get to um, the Three Servants, Inc. We got to get to the Three Servants, Inc. That so, maybe is our, <laughs> that may be the thing where we just come out and just triangle that thing up. Um, because I know, um, so one of the conversations Bishop Berg, Bishop Ferguson and I have been having, like he is ready to and wants to revive Star of the Beast. Mm, mm. So when you talk about the seeds that we've been given and the time that we're in and this relevant conversation to have, when he said that to me, I was like, whoa, yeah. That was before his time. That was before his time. It's so... so God, the highway metaphor. <laughs> We're driving down the highway on our life's journeys and we pass roadkill. Mm. Roadkill that are dreams that we have let die. Mm -hmm. Roadkill that we've let others kill. Roadkill that are dreams that were 
before it's time. Certain roadkill, we just have to keep on driving. Mm-hmm. There's certain roadkill, like Starve the Beast. Mm-hmm. We got to pull over and give mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to and mm-hmm. breathe it back into life, right? right? And so that's an example. God done told me, you ain't getting no more... Don't ask for no more new ideas. I've given you enough. Go resuscitate some of that roadkill. Why? That you let die on the side of the road, right? And so I see me, you, and and, and Darren, uh, Bishop Ferg, uh, and our three servants incorporated, right? And very quickly, you know, people know about the parable of the three servants, but what happened? What would happen if the, the brother with five talents went and got the brother with two set talents and went and got the scared brother who buried his talent, help him dig up his talent. And together they put all of their talents together, formed three servants incorporated. And when the, 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 the owner of the vineyard came back from his journey, they were all blessed, right? And how do we form these uh, uh, collaborative three service incorporated uh, 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 strategies, right? So let's go ahead and do it and and, and start off with a podcast and just uh, uh, kick it. (laughs) Absolutely. So, man, brother, thank you so much. Thank you for starting my 2024 um, off this way. Um, I know this is going to be part of the archival um, podcast. repository of wisdom that people will glean from for years and years, these next three weeks. And actually this fourth one that I'm interviewing this brother from um, the UK um, that I met online a few weeks ago. Um, He's a pastor and um, he did a TikTok that I just kind of ran across him Mm -hmm. doing it. He um, was talking about how Um, As a parent, um, you would never think that you would ever be the parent who was laying in the middle of the street um, crying in agony because your child was just murdered and um, his son was murdered in New England. And they have somebody has a picture of him laying in the middle of the street, just like like, you know, that cry when you Mm -hmm. find that out. Mm -hmm. And he said, you never think it's going to be you until it's you. Um, and that's the story he's telling, and his mantra is uh, live and learn. And so I'm doing him. <laughs> he's coming right after you. So this month is going to be, I believe, very deeply spiritual and and and, and intentional and focusing for me with respect to where I want to go uh, mm-hmm. for the rest of uh, my, my the rest of my time on this rock. And so mm-hmm. um, to all my uh, oh, before I leave. Tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can purchase the book, all those good things. Sure. Um, if you go to um, dovesores.com, www.dovesores, and uh, the dovesores is, uh, I think, in my uh, uh, picture there. Uh, you can order the book, uh, I Tom America, on loving and leading black men and boys there. Sean at dovesores.com uh, is my email. Uh, on Twitter slash X, wherever it is, Dove Soars, Sean <laughs> underscore Dove, uh, on Instagram, LinkedIn, Sean Dove, and Facebook, uh, 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 Sean Dove, uh, is how I can um, 
be reached. And uh, if you send me a smoke signal, I'll get it also. Yeah, that always works, right? Um, and to all of my other I, I Am Dad podcast listeners, thank you so much. Thank you for giving us your time. You know, you could be doing yes, anything else, but you. you're here with us today listening to us. And hopefully that there's something in here that you can glean from that blesses you, that accelerates you, that inspires you. Um, any of those things. So you know what? All of those things. Um, and until next Sunday, as my good friend, Art Mitchell and mentor used to always say to me, it's nice to be important, but you know what? It's much more important to be nice. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period. <laughs> <laughs>